Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. You got me, Brennan, hosting this week. I'm joined by Nick. How's it going? What's going on, man? Uh, you know what? It's not too bad. I mean, things are slowly starting to open up. Uh, we saw last week, obviously, Colin got to go to a real movie theater. That's pretty exciting. So, I mean, there might be a light at the end of the tunnel, we hope. Yeah, I'm still very jealous that he actually got to go out into civilization. Um, <laughs> it's cool, though, because I'm, I'm actually down south with my parents and um, I think... The restrictions are a little more lax down here, so it is just nice. Like I got to go to a winery yesterday, and I was like, "Holy shit, <laughs> I'm in public! This is incredible!" Um, so hopefully, this is a sign of more to come, and we don't have a second wave and get, get sad again in a few months. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, we'll see what happens, but uh, hopefully, everyone takes the uh, the best precautions out there for sure. But uh, hopefully, things are, are are getting better. I know up here. Things are definitely starting to get better. The curve is looking a lot better than it was a few weeks ago. So I hope that's a good good sign. Um, but we do have a little bit of news this week. A little bit of uh, release dates got jumbled up. Um, and also just a quick tidbit kind of opened things up. The Wretched, I, don't, I still don't really know what it's about, but it now has six weekends atop of the box office. Um, it clocked in last weekend at a little over 200 grand. We actually reported last weekend that Becky was number one, and it was, but drive-in numbers didn't come in until midweek, so the Wretched actually jumped in ahead of it. So now it is the longest-running movie atop of the box office for about three years, I think. That's so funny. Good for the Wretched, because I've seen this movie, and it's actually just a really fun throwback horror movie. So I guess for people who don't know, basically it's – about this kid whose parents have divorced and he's going to visit his dad for the summer and he he has a job at like at the at the local lake he's working on a few boats and then there there's a monster that comes back from the woods and it terrorizes his next door neighbors um and the the monster itself takes on stuff of separation and divorce um and it's a really fun little horror movie it's like it's the one where no one believes the kids like they're kind of like the no one believes them. They're just like the troubled youth and they have to like figure it out for themselves. It's a really fun 80s style summer camp throwback movie. So um, I, I'm happy for it. It's just a, it's a fun little story in, in all this muck. Yeah, it sounds like a, a solid drive-in film because I know this is that's where obviously it's making the uh, making the rounds. Right. And I feel like that that'd be something fun to kind of go go to the drive-in and see kind of a little bit of a throwback uh, type horror film there. Yeah, it's it's definitely that kind where it's it's really fun. It's not too scary. The monster's cool. It's really cool um, practical effects on the monster. But um, yeah, it's 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 very fun. Um, actually, the lead actor in it, John Paul Howard, I think is really good. I'm interested to see what he does next because you ha- he has that typical like kind of like just like annoying uh, guy lead leading man role that you see in a lot of these like in lesser versions of this movie. Um, but he just has just a lot of good. He has a lot of great charisma and personality where he just adds a little something extra to it. And you're like, I don't know quite what it is, but I like this guy. Um, so I'm I, hopefully this is, I mean, still not great <laughs> circumstances for everything. But I hope maybe the wretched turns into something for all the people involved and it gets a little cold audience because it, it certainly does feel like a movie that gets that kind of just very beloved, uh, beloved cult audience down the road. Yeah, no, it's interesting for sure. And I feel like there's a lot of people that will uh, definitely months or years from now kind of look back on this and remember their trip to the drive-in where they got to see the wretched (laughs) um moving forward a little bit though we did have some announcements of release dates uh switching up warner bros specifically is 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 what we're uh pointing to here so tenet 
sadly, we've been watching this for a while, but I think this is not an awful sign. So Tenet uh, has been moved from July 17 to July 31. This means that uh, Wonder Woman uh, 1984, which was supposed to come out in mid-August, has now been moved to October 2nd. So I think the main reason for this is obviously Tenet uh, and, and just everyone behind that picture wants to see at least 80 to 90 percent of theaters open by the time it comes out. They're probably a little bit nervous uh, for, for that number to be kind of at that point on July 17. So they've bumped it back two weeks. So I, th- I think that's still promising. Um, however, it seems like uh, Mulan, which is obviously the Disney property, is set for July 24. And I read somewhere that... Um, now Warner Bros. is going to be putting Inception on July 17, so maybe to mark the 10-year anniversary of the film. And a lot of people think that's just so Warner Bros. can claim like we were the first ones back, you know? But, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting claim. Maybe it's just to uh, drum up some enthusiasm for Tenet in a couple weeks after that, but uh, that's a little bit of the little bit of the release date mix-up now. Yeah, it seems smart on Warner Brothers. Part because it seems like everyone's looking at the July Fourth weekend where we want to open things back up. So who knows what happens after that? There's some kind of spike, and I'm, maybe that does make a little sense. You push it back two weeks, so you have two weeks of data to see what's going on since things open back up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think Warner Brothers has always been looking at Tenet as kind of like the grand reopening um, of the of the movie industry, and I think just with people just stuck inside, I think there is something really powerful about if we all get a chance to just go out and see a big time movie. Um, so I think it's, I understand why they're, they've been kind of reticent to like get rid of this spot while other studios are like, like universal just pushes fat, uh, fast 12, whatever it is <laughs> to next year, just from the start. Um, but yeah, I think all this sort of makes sense. I think it's a reasonable business decision and not just a punt, not just a punt on this year entirely. No, definitely, for sure. And um, I, I don't think any of the further uh, down the line release dates got moved for Tenet. Actually, I know one, um, sorry, not for Tenet, sorry, for Warner Bros., but I know uh, Kong uh, v. Godzilla was supposed to come out in November. That has now been moved to summer 2021. I think this is a smart move for that movie. It's, it feels like a summer movie rather than a November movie. And in addition to that, November seems to be getting very, very busy. I think a lot of these summer movies that... Uh, uh, we're getting pushed definitely went to november no time to die is definitely one that i can point to uh, black widow is another so it's, it's probably smart for kong v godzilla to, to move especially considering that franchise probably doesn't quite have the weight to uh go up against uh, uh marvel and um uh, no time to die but i think it is definitely a summer movie as well so 2021 is probably a good good uh, spot for that yeah, and especially because King of the Monsters just didn't do particularly well at the box office. Like, it did fine. Um, it's like I don't think many people lost their jobs over the box office returns on that one. But it didn't do great. So any chance you can give that movie to give it space from all these other movies, I think is just really worthwhile. Because, yeah, like, November through, like, December is just going to be crowded with stuff. Just so much stuff is in there. And I, I can't imagine all of it stays there if we all get back to some sort of normalcy in the, in the, in the months to come. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, and that this is kind of the first thing, kind of pointing to that we might see another little sort of shakeup, especially with how busy it is. So moving uh, away from that, um, 
we're going to look at the Netflix top 10 as we have been. Uh, starting at number one is uh, Spike Lee's new Netflix original movie, To Five Bloods. We're going to talk about that right after we run through this. Uh, 365 DNI at number two. Uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs at three. The Guest at four. The Night Clerk at five. That's holding on a couple weeks now. Um, the Last Days of American Crime uh, at six. And a quick little uh, tidbit about this. I think it's still at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I, I looked at the running time for this movie, and it's two and a half hours. And I, it kind of piqued my interest. I was like, "Is there has there ever been a 0% Rotten Tomatoes movie longer than that? And I went through them all. I think this is the longest 0% movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Oof. Yeah, I've been staring at this movie for a while. I know I'm, I'm going to have to do a big catch-up in the weeks to come, and I just know that I'm going to have to sit through this slog. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like everyone hates it. You read it, all the reviews, and everyone's just like, I hate this movie, and this like should be like, there was... I think it was David Ehrlich's review for IndieWire where he was like, this movie is so bad, it should be illegal, which is really, really, really funny. It's like got a 16% on Metacritic. Metacritic, it's just, everyone seems to hate this movie. Um, and it, I don't know, when something, a 0 percenter at two and a half hours just sounds like the worst thing. <laughs> I can, I'll, I'll figure out better ways to spend those that time. Thank you very much. It's it's rough. It's rough for sure. And then at seven, the help it holds on another week here. Uncut Gems at eight. So now that's three weeks on this list. Uh, Despicable Me returns. Uh, last week was the first week in, in months that uh, an Illumination movie was not in the top ten. But Despicable Me is now back at number nine and Clueless at number ten. So let's go back to the top uh, with The Five Bloods. I know that I watched it. Uh, you haven't. Um, are you looking forward to this movie? I, I remember we did a... Uh, a most anticipated of the year back in January. And uh, this was one that we were both definitely talking about. Oh yeah. I can't wait to see this movie. Just uh, life got on a little way this week already. So I'm really excited for to sit down maybe tomorrow night. And uh, I'm with one of the fun things that I've, I've talked about before is that one of, one of my buddies and I, we sit down over FaceTime, we watch a movie together um, and we're debating between this and the King of Staten Island for our kind of group watch tomorrow. So, um, but yes, I will be watching this soon because this kind of, it feels like it's oddly like the most perfect time for a Spike Lee movie to come out given just like we're in what week two or three of protests around the world and specifically in the United States. Um, it just, it seems like I know there was no no possible way Netflix could have ever imagined this, but it feels like this is like probably like the perfect time for this movie. Um, you know what? From the opening scene, like re- literally from the jump, it 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 feels like an absolute mirror on everything that's going on right now, and it it's it's a crazy crazy thing to watch. Um, I know obviously they didn't. Uh, plan for that as you said but it's just weird from the opening scene i mean the whole movie obviously isn't a complete mirror there's a lot of other stuff there um obviously it's about you have some vietnam war vets that are going back for some uh uh, they want to tie up some loose ends back there um i don't want to go into the the actual plot too much but from the get-go there's just some imagery that that really is 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 quite a interesting um compare and contrast to what we're going through now um this is a fantastic movie i i did not get to go to Sundance like you and Colin. So I haven't seen as much quality uh, 2020 movies. So this is already shot up to my number one of the year uh, at this point. Like it's, it's a fantastic movie and definitely after you and Colin check it out, I'd love to talk about uh, potentially how far this thing could go in award season. I know it's June, but I just think that this movie definitely, it, it touches a lot of bases. Like it, it's, it's a film that 
obviously you have that traditional Spike Lee strengths, which is the screenplay. Um, but I think that also just the fact that it's a two and a half hour sort of a war epic in a way, um, you're going to be touching on several other categories like sound, uh, cinematography, production design, all that sort of stuff. Um, but no, it's a fantastic movie. There's a lot there, a lot to unpack. Um, but uh, I, I loved it. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I've i gained such an appreciation for Spike Lee recently. I just, I think some people, what they don't really love about him is kind of how in, in, in your face he is as just like a filmmaker. And like, obviously everyone knows him as just a presence as a celebrity figure. Um, but I, I think I kind of love it. Like he, all of his movies, like you wouldn't, I don't think you'd ever call any of them subtle, but that's not necessarily what they're trying to do either. I think he's, he's one of the few filmmakers that really just blows in the face of the kind of, kind of the tired, like show don't tell adage that we use. I don't like, I don't think that necessarily works. And I think he's a great example of like, he can, he can kind of lecture you and it's still like the most captivating and like amazing thing ever. Um, and you just look at like the end of black Klansman with the Charlottesville, um, videos and all that stuff. Like he will go there. And I really appreciate that about him. So, um, I can't wait. I'm really looking for it. Yeah, I really want to dive into this movie as soon as I see it because I'm sure there's plenty to dig into. Yeah, and you know what? This is a director in Spike Lee who has definitely found himself again. Um, you could definitely argue that the last 10 to 15 years prior to Black Klansman, he had a ton of misses. Um, he had a couple okay movies in there, but he had a lot of misses. After what was a really strong 1990s and late 80s when he first came onto the scene, and even early 2000s, he had a few good movies sprinkled in there, but he had a lot of misses these last 15 years, and Black Klansman, and now this. In my opinion, these are back-to-back really strong movies. I like this one more than Black Klansman uh, after just one watch, um, but he, he's back for sure. Yeah, he had that very, very bizarre stretch. He had, like He did the remake of Old Boy, I think it was, what, 2013? which just felt very weird. It kind of felt like a like a director for hire job for him there, which is just very strange considering how strong of a voice he is and just like he's probably one of the more important filmmakers ever. So it was just very strange. So um, yeah, weirdly, I have, I have a lot of blind spots when it comes to Spike Lee. Um, I've seen like Do the Right Thing and all those, all those really kind of like his biggest movies. But I like, yeah, I haven't seen Chirac, but I'm really interested in looking back on that. And hopefully I'm hoping that the Defy of Bloods kind of sparks something in me to kind of explore a lot of his movies. Cause I think recently there's, I mean, it makes sense that when one of his movies is coming out, people are going to talk more about his other movies, but it seems like there is kind of some sort of kind of looking back at some of these movies and maybe they're a little more appreciated than we kind of, or like a little better than we give them credit for. So I'm, I'm looking forward to diving back into his filmography and not just this movie. Definitely. I mean, it's it's something that we definitely have to jump into uh, next week for sure. But just for me on, on first watch, it's great. Uh, not not too many issues. Like, I guess there are a few moments that, um, I don't know. No, this this is a really strong movie overall. Like, that, I mean, the one thing I do want to point to, you've probably heard about it on Twitter maybe is Delroy Lindo's performance in this movie. Um, best of the year for me right now. Like, he he... He gave a performance so compelling, um, so captivating, and 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 quite moving. Uh, it, uh, it it's it's incredible. Yeah, the the cast in this movie is unbelievable. I mean, just multiple generations, and I know that's kind of like they're mirroring the two and their younger selves and older selves. But um, you have Chadwick Boseman in there. Like it's just, like. I just get so excited. I'm so mad. I haven't seen this yet. <laughs> I just really want to see it. For sure. So next week, we'll definitely do a, a good uh, dive into this one. Um, 
But yeah, that's the top 10. I mean, I guess we can touch on a few things there. There are a few, obviously, Netflix originals there. Uh, Uncut Gems kind of sticking on. Uh, have you given it a rewatch yet since uh, it's it's uh, dropped on United States Netflix? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Just shout out to Uncut Gems. Just I, I adore you so much. And I will devote every I will devote every single podcast episode to it from here on if we get enough interest in it. <laughs> uh, we'll break down every single minute of the movie. It'll be great for everyone. <laughs> and kind of just rounding out the top 10, you have Clueless at the bottom, which uh, I know Colin said he was watching it for the first time this week. So I wonder what he what he thought of it. Um, but yeah, that's the top 10. Um, let's move into some other recent releases now because it wasn't just to five bloods i think this was a pretty busy weekend in terms of streaming um so let's jump into the first one here i didn't watch it i'm, I'm pretty sure you did though uh artemis foul uh oof that's that's my review of Artemis foul <laughs> um it's uh what's it where to start it's it is interesting because there is a lot to talk about this week and it feels like if we weren't all in a global pandemic, it would feel like a very normal week at the movies. Like you have three, three big time movies and the five bloods arm is fouling the King of Staten Island. Um, but yeah, there's um, Artemis foul has kind of been, is quietly been one of the most like disastrous, like production, pre-production production, post-production kind of just, just downfalls in recent memory. So um, yeah, this movie was, I think it started in pre-production, like with like talks about getting cast together and development and worked like in like, it was like 2000 when that started. So this has been squarely in development hell for a while. And then um, now we have what we have now, which it, it was delayed multiple times. I think the first trailer came out like in like the summer of 2018 or something like that. Uh, this movie's been pushed back so many times and now it's unceremoniously dumped on Disney Plus. And there is very much a reason for it because it is very very bad um and it's i think i see people are making the comparison to cats um which um i don't think anything deserves that cats is just it's in in its own league um as far as i'm concerned um but it is it is very very goofy but i think the part of that is people just kind of like starved for content and looking for things to talk about and since there's nothing really nothing else really going on we can all dunk on artemis foul for a little bit but it is a very very bad movie that is was clearly cut to shreds in post-production you can kind of tell where the the lead kid he looks like he's jumping back and forth in age maybe with reshoots and things like that um it just it's kind of it's just one of those movies it reminds me a lot of the dark tower where it's like this very sprawling beloved book series that has been distilled down to like a 90 minute movie i think it's very strange artemis foul when it was supposed to come out in 2019 it was right around two hours in runtime i think around like 155 or something like that now it's been released on disney plus at right around with including all end credits 94 minutes uh so they clearly cut out so much of this movie and they had to rejigger it a lot because there's like two or three um framing devices for the plot so that you can kind of understand what's happening uh but you still don't uh so um yeah it's this is a mess uh josh gad's character's name is mulch diggums so (laughs) that kind of tells you all you need to know about this movie um it seems like no one's really particularly happy with it because i know the honor of his foul books are beloved and it seems like it diverted from the source material quite a bit, and then it's just also not a very good movie. So everyone coming new to it is kind of just like, a, what the hell is this? This is pretty bad. Um, so yeah, it's 
it, it, this is not a good movie whatsoever. I, it's it's really really bad. It's one of the bigger disasters of recent memory. Um, so, yeah, Disney. It's very interesting because you look at Disney's work and they're very successful with Marvel and even the Star Wars movies are what they are what they are content content wise, but they're still making a good amount of money. But they've really fumbled a lot of their live action just that. Um, productions at Walt Disney Studios, whether it be A Wrinkle in Time or just any of their uh, live action uh, retellings, um, it doesn't really it doesn't really seem like they have a strong direction for um, cultivating um, new IP, and that's probably why they keep going back to old stuff because they're really struggling to find new sources. But um, this is just the newest example of that. This is Artemis Fowl is not good. It's not not good at all. <laughs> I just love coming onto the pod today. I messaged you uh, talking about planning out what we we're going to talk about, and I love how I mean, I saw the Five Bloods, and you uh, saw Artemis Fowl. <laughs> I took the bullet this week. Uh, it's <laughs> it's really really tough. Uh, I feel bad. It's such a like a like you have Kenneth Branagh as the director here, Colin Farrell's in this movie. Uh, you have Judy Dench just in a hilarious performance where she's she's talking with very gruff voice as like the leader of like the fairies or whatever. I don't even know. She's like an elf at fairy. I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, and Josh Gad is there as well. There's one at one point in the movie, Josh Gad burrows into the he elongates his mouth to make it really big and CGI and disgusting. And then he burrows into the ground and there's uh, dirt uh, coming out of his butt. Uh, so that's uh, that happens in this movie. This happens in a movie released by Disney. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, Artemis Fowl is it's just it's just a fumbled mess. And I hope Colin Farrell got to got a nice beach house with the paycheck he got for this movie. Um, so that's yeah, it's 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 uh, boy Artemis Fowl. Yeah, that's that sounds quite rough. I, I'm not familiar with the books. Uh, I know some people who are. Um, and then also, I remember just seeing the posters for this movie up all uh, all on the theater walls last year. So yeah, it's it, it's definitely gone through a tough time, and it's probably funny now to see the actor. Uh, he probably looks a lot older now than than actually in this film. And as you said, there's obviously a lot of issues with the reshoots and how he looks, but uh, that's that's a tough tough uh, story. <laughs> and the other recent release that you and me haven't seen yet, but we're planning to very soon is the new Judd Apatow film, The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson. I've heard a lot of really good things about this uh, movie so far. Um, I'm looking forward to it. How about you? I am looking forward to it very much. And it's, it is, it is funny though, because I think at this point we all kind of know what to expect from a Judd Apatow movie where um, he's going to blend his really good comedy with um, with a lot. He's going to pull a tug on your heartstrings and the movie's also going to be well, way longer than it should be. <laughs> and then, so you look at the runtime of the King of Staten Island, it's two hours and 15 minutes and it's like, ah, perfect. <laughs> that, that This is a Judd Apatow movie. Um, it is interesting though. Cause it's like, I feel like there was like, there was one roast on comedy central. One of those, when those were still a thing um, when Seth Rogen, like went up there and made this joke about how all Judd Apatow movies are 30 minutes too long. Um, and it was like everyone loved it because it's like such like a recognized thing that all of his movies are bloated. Uh, and it's just interesting that he doesn't like try to like go against that and maybe like cut down his movies a little bit. But regardless, regardless of that, I, I like his movies a lot. I was I have been anxiously awaiting what he would direct next since Trainwreck back in 2015. So and it's looks like this is a really touching story because obviously it pulls on. 
Pete Davidson's real life and how his father died in 9-11 attacks. Uh, so there's there's just a lot to pull from there. Um, so I, I am really looking forward to it. And I'm interested to see how this movie uses Pete Davidson because I don't think we've quite figured out how we feel about him as a celebrity or like what roles he should be in or what his personality is as a movie star. Um, and I think Judd Apatow is really good at bringing that, bringing that out. Like we've seen that so many times with, with Seth Rogen and all of his, um, and Paul Rudd and Joan Hill, he's really figured out ways to kind of rely on their strengths. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you're right. I think Pete Davidson is the type of person that we know him, but we don't know his abilities yet. So I think this is definitely a great way for him to um, kind of uh, kind of flex a little bit more or kind of kind of for just for us to see kind of who he is as an actor. And there's definitely some potential there. Um, what's your favorite uh, Judd Apatow movie? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's. It's funny because like a lot of his stuff runs together for me because like obviously he's also a, a very like strong producer and he like works on all of these um like other projects as well um but i think i i always go back to knocked up is my favorite or it's either between that or train wreck i really love train wreck a lot and it's kind of makes me sad that amy schumer didn't become a bigger movie star afterwards um but um, i think depending on the day i flip back and forth between those two okay yeah i mean i a lot. You're right. A lot of his movies do kind of blend because he is a big time uh, producer as well. The Forty Year Old Version is always a good, uh, good go to in terms of comedy. Um, yeah, just with Knocked Up, I haven't seen it in so long. I can't really talk about it much. But I know Funny People is another one that kind of is in the same vein. How it's incredibly long, but it's another good Sandler performance. I don't know if you're familiar with the film at all. Um, but uh, that's another movie of his that's good. But uh, it's about two and a half hours. Yeah, that's I totally agree. I really like funny people. I think the first half of that movie is like maybe Judd Apatow's best stuff like he's ever done. Like it's I feel like the movie just should have ended when Adam Sandler like got his diagnosis that or like that he was cured basically. And I guess some minor spoilers for funny people, but that's like halfway through the movie, so it's not a big deal. Um but yeah, I think like the first part of that where it's I think it's like some of the best acting Sandler's ever done. I think there's some really good stuff there. But yeah, it's just it is just so long. Um, I still recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> I think it's a good movie. But yeah, there's just so much fat in that movie. And I think that was I think that was the movie where everyone was like, oh, yeah, you like Judd Apatow. You need to cut down your movies. <laughs> you, you put way too much stuff in there. But um, I also really like I like parts of This is 40. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, it's like bougie as hell because it's like. It's like total like first world problems like oh we we're like running running out of money but we also have all this like great stuff and it's like it's like oh no we have to like downsize slightly from our really super expensive house to a slightly smaller house <laughs> it's like there's a lot of that stuff in there but I think there's a lot of like it's like one of the few comedies that like like deals with people like people like turning forty and like going through that kind of that version of adulthood so I like that movie a lot too. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that either, but uh, um, I'll I'll definitely look into, into his filmography after this movie. So yeah, we'll be checking that out soon. I'm uh, looking forward to it, though. And then just transitioning, I do want to obviously continue the trend that we have been uh, following, which is kind of just talking about what we've been watching lately. Um, for me, uh, just quickly, the other day was the 27th anniversary of Jurassic Park, and that's always been one of my favorites since I was a kid. So I thought, you know, why not give it a rewatch? Every year or two, I, I rewatch the movie, and I mean, it's still quite fun. I, I I still get chills whenever I hear the theme kick in, and uh, there, there's just a lot of fun in that movie. Uh, for me, it's 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 probably one of the only movies I could watch like all the time. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think it's just one that's so ingrained into my. It's definitely one of my favorite Spielberg movies. Um, if it isn't as say um, thematically powerful as some of his other ones, but he definitely still tries to weave in a little bit in there. Like it's not just like in my opinion, you don't see movies like this made anymore, which is it's weird to say about Jurassic Park. But I mean, there's so many moments in this film that are very slow in, in a way like it's it's a fast-paced film but there are a lot of character moments that are slow and they let you see things in the angles in which he shoots the movie i mean it's it's, it's something that you don't see in modern day blockbusters and it's just a great uh, spielberg touch but yeah that was a great movie to check out on its uh, 27th anniversary yeah i think everyone takes the wrong things away from spielberg movies where they're like they're, they're doing like they want they want to make their own very like fun and energetic adventure movies and really fun characters but i think he's He's probably, I mean, this isn't me breaking new, new ground when I say this, but I think he's just the best, if like one of the best directors and, and showing and translating that scale, that's that sense of scale and like awe to the, to the audience where, like you said, those angles where he's shooting a lot of those dinosaurs like from below. And so you get how, how just huge they are. And just, it's the, the scale is incredible. And I think a lot of that stuff, like he's great at injecting that kind of wonder into his movies. And yeah, it's like, <laughs> there's a reason he's one of the best. It's Spielberg is just great at that. And he understands like those little tiny touches can make all the difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, how about you? What, what's something you've been checking out recently? Yeah. I want to recommend the vast of night, which is an Amazon uh, studios movie that came out a few weeks ago. Um, it was actually weirdly enough for how good of a movie it is, and I highly recommend it. It didn't play a, at a lot of festivals. It it actually played at Slam Dance in 2019, which is the offshoot of Sundance, where um, it's technically its own uh, festival. For like, I know a lot of people don't like don't, aren't aware of it, and I actually thought it was like the same. I thought it was like connected with Sundance when the first time I heard of it, but um, it's just like its own little tiny uh, film festival that goes on at the same time as Sundance. And there's like a lot of smaller movies that play there. And this that was basically the only the only festival that the Vast of Night played at, which I found really interesting. Um, but this is kind of one of the better uh, directorial debuts that I've seen in a really long time. So the director of this movie is Andrew Patterson. Uh, and he has such a really strong command of this movie, just in all sen- in all senses. So um, I guess just a little background on the movie itself. It's it takes place in the 1950s and uh, it follows two, mostly two actors. Uh, the lead girl is played by Sierra McCormick. Uh, she's really great. You know, they're, uh, the lead actor is Jake Horowitz, and he's also really, really terrific. Um, but basically, this is just a radio drama where they they run a radio show, and Sierra's Sierra's running the switchboard, and Jake Horowitz's character is like the the lead voice on the radio show itself. Um, and they start to hear like these weird frequencies over the radio, um, and they just like they're their show is late at night. They know no one's really listening. Everyone's at the basketball game in town. So they're basically like, all right, let's just throw this out onto the onto the sound waves and see what we get. And they got a caller who's like, I know what the sound is. And, they, and it's possibly connected to aliens. So it's this whole on, like, basically almost in real time, this movie, it's like these two kids trying to connect the dots and see if there are actually aliens in their area. Um, it's, it's a really terrific movie. And it's it's kind of... That there's a fun framing device on it that makes it feel kind of like a um, a sort of a really fun old time fifties science fiction tale. Um, it's it's really really terrific. Uh, it's really sl- slow moving, but also um, like just v- hooks you in immediately. Like some of the, the writing in this movie is incredible. Where 
Um, like a few of the main characters just never show up on screen. You're just listening to them talk over the phone. And there's like 10 minute scenes where people are just having a conversation. And it's the most riveting thing I've seen this year in a lot of cases. Um, so, yeah, I can't recommend this movie enough. I don't really want to go too deep into it because I think it, there's some really f- interesting surprises to be had. But um, just a terrific, low budget, wonderful little sci-fi movie that I I, I adored. I think this is this. I don't think this will end up being one of my top ten favorite movies of the year, but it is really really good. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I've actually uh, this this is kind of. This movie's piqued my interest recently just because I saw on Letterboxd it was on like the uh, trending uh, list, like the most popular uh, movies at the at the moment list, kind of what people were watching a lot. And I, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting, definitely uh, sounding concept. And Slamdance, just real quick, that festival, is that in Utah as well? Yeah, so it's it's literally in the same area, which is why it's so confusing. <laughs> like you'll like you'll go to Sundance, and there's also theaters in the same area that are playing Slam Dance uh, movies. So it's it's this very confusing thing. So if you're not really like if you're not really aware, you're like, oh, is Slam Dance just like some cute little like side like side project thing that Sundance does? But no, it's, it's an entirely different thing. Um, it's yeah, and I, I it's it's very bizarre because this is like such a great Twilight Zone ish kind of movie that has so many great strengths and it's so it's great acting and a sure direction it's kind of strange i mean like there's a lot of good movies that come out of the slam dance film festival but it's kind of it's just bizarre to me that this didn't play other where other places too yeah no for sure i mean i'll definitely uh, check that out and just to kind of wrap things up i do want to say that we will be back next week definitely to uh, do kind of a more deep dive into the five bloods i know uh, you're really looking forward to checking it out i'm looking forward to talking about it with you hopefully we'll have colin back as well uh thanks for coming on nick thank you brennan it's a pleasure as always as always, you can check out our content on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can check us out at moviebabble.com. 